What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the Inner Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Thursday, February the 16th, 2023. It's episode 149 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. You can also listen over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Bernier Show. You will get this episode Along with the 148 prior, and as always, please rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever it may be, the more the merrier. Not just for this show, but all the other shows that are part of the In The Money Media Network, whether it's the Players Pod, JK Plus One, anything. Get out there and vote. That's the wrong thing. Get out there, rate, review, subscribe. On this week's show... Uh, we are going to dive into the two three-year-old prep races happening at the fairgrounds on Saturday. The Rachel Alexandra for the three-year-old Phillies and the Risen Star for the boys. I am in New Orleans. I mean, like, in the heart right now. If you hear any banging and noise outside, I'm on the 14th floor of my hotel room. And you can still hear the parades ongoing because it is Mardi Gras. And uh, it, it gave me a, a bit of a, a scare going to the track today. Uh, I wasn't totally convinced I was going to make it on time for our first hit. Uh, but fear not. More often than not, when you really get stressed out about stuff, it, it, it's never actually that bad. Uh, and speaking of, story time from last week. The Kia is alive and well. Had it towed. They took a look at it. They needed a little uh, a plug. Needed to wait for that to come in. It came in, filled the transmission up with transmission fluid. The technician was over the moon. He was as shocked as anyone. He goes, I can't believe it, but it's clean. I said, great. The Kia is now home. The Ford is not yet home. The Ford needs a new drive shaft. They're working on that. Luckily, that's covered under the powertrain. So, knock wood. We've lucked out as far as cars are concerned in this past week. Knock wood. We lucked out. I'm sure many of you were, were waiting with anxious, you know, bated breath to find out how, how my cars are. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy to report that all things considered, not bad. Small, small prices to pay in the grand scheme of things. So, anyway, back to the task at hand. Let's talk about the two prep races and... At the same time, kind of concurrently, assess where things are because this has been a, I don't want to say a quiet triple crown or, or prep season to this point. Other people have brought it up as well, but it's true. It's just, we haven't had wow performances, especially on the graded stake side of things. We've had a few interesting races, don't get me wrong, but we haven't had really anyone jump up and, and grab the bull by the horns in either division. I think that changes in a big way on Saturday. We'll dive into both of those races and overall assess where the three-year-olds are at this point in the season. All right, let's talk about the Rachel Alexandra race 12 on a 13-race card on Saturday at the fairgrounds. This is the three-year-old Phillies going a mile and a 16th on the main track. The headliner is Hoosier Philly. We haven't seen her since she won the Golden Rod. That was in November, right around Thanksgiving time. She, no one's ever been close to her. I guess the debut. Five and a half furlongs. She only won, by, only won by just under two lengths. 
the two route races she's won by seven and a half and five. She's won on a wet track, on a fast track. Looks like she's working up a storm leading into this race. I saw her earlier today in the paddock. Schooling is someone who doesn't know what the hell he's looking at. She looked good to me. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know what I'm looking at, but she looked like a very fine horse. The only concern I would have is a few things, but most importantly, we have we have seen these horses that are these fillies that are brilliant at two, and for whatever reason they just don't go on. It didn't really truly happen with uh, the Oaks favorite last year, whose name is slipping my uh, mind. Not untappable. Jesus, she ran in the Philly and Mare Sprint. What the hell was her name? Echo Zulu. That was her name. You know, we saw it a little bit with her, but I think that had more to do with distance than her not going on. But there have been other three-year-old fillies that just, they don't replicate that two-year-old form that they had. And truth be told, I'm, I'm rooting for her to put on a show. I think that would be, from a sporting standpoint, awesome. Because then, not only do we have you know, a, a proper leader in the clubhouse for the Phillies. But then the, the conversation continues on anyway about the idea of her possibly running against the boys in the Derby. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. The people that piss on the idea of, oh, you know, you got your own race. Why would you bother running against the boys and this, that, and the other? I don't care if it's a Colt, if it's a Philly, if it's a three-headed monster, if it's an alien, if it's a giraffe. If you have a horse that is eligible to run in a race like the Kentucky Derby and you think they're good enough to win, why would you not run? The easy answer is to say, well, you're going to be a prohibitive favorite in that case if you run in the Oaks. Fine. Go there then. But I don't, I don't, what good does it do to sit there and, and second guess people that are, are willing to do something or want to do something that from a sporting standpoint is exceptional? It is, whatever your opinions are of the idea of a girl taking on the boys in the derby, it doesn't happen often, but when it does, it, it, it becomes a lightning rod. The event is as is, is like fevered pitch as it normally is, it's that much more polarizing when there's a good filly taking on the boys in a race, in any race for that matter. Wonder Godot ran against the boys in the Travers. She was good. She wasn't a superstar, and that was a big deal. That was years ago. If she goes out there and really struts her stuff on Saturday... Going back to what I kind of talked about at the top, the idea that even the boys haven't really, aside from Arabian Night, I mean, who's who's blown you away? There are horses I like, but nobody's blown you away. And even the ones that I like have not done it against Graded Stakes Company yet. Hopefully one of them does it on Saturday in this spot. But I just think it's, if especially someone as, as smart as Tom Amos, if he thinks that this could possibly be at some point. The good news is it doesn't need to make an answer, a decision on Friday or Saturday. 
But if you think you've got a horse that could win the Kentucky Derby, male or female, what difference does it make? Wouldn't you do it? You get one shot more often than not. One real shot. I don't know. But to cold water all that, purely from a gambling standpoint, I think she's going to be a terrible bet on, on Saturday. Terrible bet. Off of a layoff, purely on figs, there are at least there's at least one other filly that's run faster than her. Three other fillies have run within two points of her career best. So if you're going to be betting her, she's six to five in the morning line. I think she probably goes off closer to two to five, maybe even one to five, truthfully, with the way everyone's talked about her. If you're betting her at, at a price like that, you are you are assuming not only does she move forward, she moves forward substantially. Because these other girls have recency on her, and they're already close to as fast, if not faster in the case of Chop Chop. So if you're betting her at some minuscule number on Saturday, you're doing it on the, the, the basis or the thought of she's jumping up in a big way. And maybe she will, but I don't think that's the sort of thing you want to be betting on at a short price. You can bet on those. I've talked about it also with the future bets or taking shots on prices. You can bet with on on 10 or 15 to 1 shots on the, the premise that you think they're going to move forward, not that they have to move forward. Okay? It's different to do that at 2 and 5. It just is. So, right in post position order, Vava. I made her 15 to 1. She had no real chance with the way everything started in that untappable. That was her first time going out to two turns. I think she's a nice filly. Um, she's 15 to 1 because I think there are other intriguing fillies in here. And you've got one who's going to take the lion's share of the market share. So... I have no real beef with the inside Philly. I just think there are others that intrigue more. I have nothing else to say about who's your Philly other than the fact that I made her seven to five for fair odds. She will not sniff seven to five. If she does, there's probably something wrong. So she will not be a win bet for me. Now, is there a way to use her in multis? It depends what the rest of the sequence and what your opinions are. But if you like prices all over the place, there's, you know, nothing wrong with with singling her, but I don't. Th I, I think you either single her, or you throw her out. You're not using her with a couple other horses. Um, it just eats into your bankroll, and and I think it's a sort of a losing proposition long run. Knock your socks off. I I really liked her Jessamine, and I thought she would have been sneaky for the Breeders' Cup had she gone there. Instead, they go to the dirt. They run in the Golden Rod. She's a good second, no match for Hoosier Philly. I don't know what her preferred surface is going to be. Kitten's Joys on dirt are historically just awful. Maybe she bucks that trend. I still have a funny feeling turf is where she's going to make her hay. The Forest Chop Chop. I made her 4-1. to one. Blinkers go on. Brad Cox was quoted in the racing form saying, I have no idea if the Blinkers are going to do what we want them to do. Um, she gets close to her, the final horse in the race, and she just doesn't want to finish the deal. Uh, she has won twice. Once was the career debut where she won by length and a half. 
but she was just better than everybody else. She won the race at Kentucky Downs by a nose. She lost the Alcibiades by a nose. And the Silver Bullet Day was like, if we're just calling a spade a spade, that was a that was a gross, gross loss. Like gross. You can't do that. You you can't roll up the way that she did. Look like you're gonna win by six and end up losing by a length. Now the Alice look might be good, but that was a that was a damning loss in my eyes from Chop Chop. You better hope the blinkers work. I think she's really good still, don't get me wrong. But that was a bad loss. I'm going to end up picking pretty mischievous. I made her nine to two. She got her work cut out for, but I thought the untappable, the interesting thing about that race, it it's one of those things that you're never ever supposed to bet a horse off of a perfect trip. Which I think everything is circumstantial. That just seems like a why would you use a blanket statement for something like that? If the horse is good enough, what difference does it make if they had a dream trip last out or not? If you think that they could win or they fit. I mean, I don't know. I get the the premise, but I think it's just stupid to sit here and talk in, in absolutes. So if you want to say, yes, yeah, she had the ideal scenario last time out, and that's why she went on and won, I, I'm going to agree but also disagree at the same time. I think that certainly played a part in her winning, but I thought she was awesome. The way she finished, I loved everything about it. That was her first try here at the fairgrounds. I don't see any reason why she doesn't move forward. Now, is it enough to beat two good fillies? I don't know, but I think you're going to get rewarded price-wise. I made her 9-2. to two. She's 9-2 to two on the morning line. And Miracle, I made her 15-1. to one. She's 12 on the line. First time going out for Pletcher. Haven't seen her since just before October 31st of last year. The figs as a 2-year-old are very competitive in here. I just, I don't, I kind of want to see one. I don't, I don't know what she is in the, the, the grand scheme of things. She's a New York bred. She's only won one start. That was a career debut going six furlongs. At first blush, I think the pedigree is nice. You know, I don't need to keep waxing on about Mendelssohn. Uh, but smart strike on the bottom. You know, she could be, she could be anything really. But at this point right now, uh, I'm inclined to sit back and watch. So all eyes will be on Hoosier Philly. I made her seven to five. She's six to five on the line. If you think you're getting either of those numbers, uh, I, I have a whole bunch of, of fun coupons that I can sell you because those are not happening. You're probably looking at one to five or two to five. Um, and I'm going to ultimately go with Pretty Mischievous. I think nine to two is a fair price. If Chop Chop is the second most likely winner at four to one, she's eight to five on the morning line. Uh, maybe the blinkers just get the job done, but I, I think Pretty Mischievous has shown a bit of an upward trajectory. She defeated the Alice Look, who came back and defeated Chop Chop in the most recent start, and she did so very, very clearly. I think it's a good indication that she's trending the right direction for Brennan Walsh. So Pretty Mischievous for me in the Rachel Alexandra. And as far as the other three-year-old fillies are concerned, I, of the, the stakes... Types, I've not to see. I've not seen anything that I'm impressed by. The one filly that I'm impressed by right now, that's three year old filly, is Bandita. And it, I would assume she goes to a stakes race next, and I would assume at that point, she puts on a show, or something close to it, and all of a sudden, then, let's say Hoosier filly gets through this on Saturday, we start to build up that kind of head to head battle between those two as being, you know, 
assuming Hoosier Philly goes the first Friday in May, that becomes the showdown. Hoosier Philly versus Bandita. Who gets it done? Let's talk about the boys. And the boys, race number 13. It's the Risen Star, a mile and an eighth. I think, you know, I said it a few times that this path, I think, is going to only continue to become more important because you get mile and an eighth racing earlier, and your last race, your last prep, is going to be at a mile and three sixteenths. And on top of that, there is a wider gap between that race and the first Saturday in May. So you're checking off sort of the stamina, the foundational races, the building races. That distance won't be an issue. You get them out of the way earlier, and you have as fresh a horse as possible coming into the biggest race of their life. I just think the fairgrounds, the way things are set up here, um, you know, for the longest time, it was sort of the, the butt of the joke as far as the preps were concerned. And all this is cyclical. I mean, you know, Santa Anita for the longest time was the hot spot. You know, New York now, for the longest time, you couldn't find anything. And then all of a sudden, you know, Modonigal shows up last year and, and the bluegrass hasn't been productive in God knows how long. These are all going to shift back and forth. But I, I think for the reasons I just stated, that this path through New Orleans and the connections that are down here, they're always going to have good three-year-olds. And uh, I think I think the fairgrounds path is only going to continue to grow and get more and more important as the years go on. There's one horse in here I really like, and I, assuming I get the price, I'm going to be betting him. I've already bet him. He's the only horse I've bet in the future pools. And you can pull the, the videos or the, the pods up or what, however you listen and go back. You know what? Let's save it. Let's save it for when we get to him. Number one, quiet as midnight. Also, keep in mind, if you hear some of these prices and you're like, the disrespect, no, it's a 14-horse field. Inherently, just by math, you're going to have some horses that are massive prices. It's not because they're not good. It's just because in this field, if they ran the race 100 times, how often did they win? In my estimation, a horse like Quiet as Midnight wins probably one of them. It's a non-zero number, but it's not much higher than that. Quiet as Midnight, I make him 99 to 1. Single Ruler, make him 50 to 1. Shaq Diesel, make him 99 to 1. The horses I have giant prices, I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on. The four, determinedly, I made him 20 to 1 from an 8-to-1 morning line. That has to do with the dynamics of that allowance race where he went as slow as he could early on, and yes, he ended up prevailing, but he was getting short, and I thought the other two looked better at the very end, specifically the runner-up. I think determinedly of the three would probably be the one that I'd be least interested in coming out of that race. I've also heard some folks bring up his distance sort of limitations. Um, Entirely possible. Entirely possible. Can't rule that out. I also wonder if he's just not getting any better as far as times are concerned. Go through and take a look. His four most recent dirt starts, 83, 83, 81, 84. Uh, at a certain point, you're going to need to take a step forward. Harla Cap is a wild card in here. First time for Asmussen coming from Baffert's barn. The most important piece is the horses that have come back out of the maiden score on January 22nd have all improved their buyers next out by at least 10 points that would theoretically put this horse into that mid-90 range if he followed suit. I will say it again and again, 
it's early on, but I would encourage if you have access to a product like the Daily Racing Forms Formulator or maybe Stats Race Lens or something else that factors in pedigree, and you can go through and look and see how the sires have done. I think we are not trending. But there is a significant difference between Justify's offspring going short and going long. And maybe it, it's too early and Harlocap will continue to sort of buck that trend. I would just be very curious to see how this all unfolds for Justify as a sire. They're also early. They're two-year-old winners. They win first out. I wonder if he's going to be a very precocious type. Another story for another day. Harlocap, I think... If he can get the distance, and he can pass a horse if he has to, I made him 9-1. to one. Angel of Empire, 15-1. to one. No match for victory formation, who we'll talk about toward the end. I did think he ran a credible race, and truth be told, all three of his dirt routes have all been good. Lying out the Kentucky Downs race, you do that, you've got a pretty good horse. I just think he's taking on some... Let's say upper echelon types. I said on FanDuel earlier today, I think there's a fair chance that the, the Derby winner could be in this race on Saturday. Maybe that seems like a reach. That's what I believe, though. The seven, Sun Thunder, 50 to 1. The eight. If you go back to the show from, oh boy, I don't even know, maybe late December, let's see, maybe we can mute it, mm, that was the Phillies, if you go back to the show, from December 14th, 2022, to episode 144. I looked ahead to two-year-old males that I was intrigued by, and I had a 1A and a 1B. My 1B was Tappet Trice, who a couple weeks ago won an allowance with a 92 buyer. He is on to a derby prep. feel pretty good about that. My 1A and the horse that I bet in last weekend's Paramutual Kentucky Derby Future Pool is Tappet's Conquest. I he he may truly end up being the favorite in this race, which is kind of mind-boggling in the big picture, but he's six to one in the morning line. I made him four to one as fair odds. He had no pace to run at in that most recent start. He got very green, very goofy. Um, I think the education that he gained from that race is going to just be vitally important as they go on with him. That was his first start since October 1st. I guess if you want to include, keep in mind, and I brought it up, I think, in that pod from a couple months back, he was in another race that ended up being declared a no contest. So, you know, did he get anything out of that? Probably not. I just think this is a really nice horse. I do. And I know some folks involved with the horse are quite high on him. It's just a matter of, is he going to mature enough 
to be able to take advantage of the opportunity given to him. The pace should be there. And and let's also not make it out like he's some one-run closer. He was well off of it in that start. But he won. He was within a length when he broke his maiden going eight and a half at Churchill. So I don't view this as a, a paceless kind of horse. I think he's... I think he's just kind of green, kind of figuring things out. He's a bit of a dope. I think the talent is immense, though. And I bet him last week at 66 to 1 or whatever it is. I've got a few hundred to win there. And if he's better than 4 to 1 here, I'm happy to bet him. More likely, depending on what the rest of the sequence looks like leading in, uh, I would probably just take a stand and single him, or as a lone A in a multi-race bet. Tappet's Conquest is both the shortest price as far as my line is concerned at 4-1, to one, and he's also the horse that I'm going to be picking. The 9 is Curly Jack. I made him 15-1. to one. He's probably the hardest call that I have with this entire field because he's he ran good races as a 2-year-old. The Kentucky Jockey Club, I didn't really like it when I first looked at it. But in hindsight, it's probably better than I thought it was at first glance and the pace kind of came apart so for him to still be around despite the fact that the fractions were slow probably bodes well for him he's probably better than I've given him credit for two fills nine to one you know he probably moved a hair early in that LeCompte but it was no match for instant coffee to be fair the last move was the winning move that day that was first start off the layoff. We hadn't seen him since just before Halloween as well. I think he's a good horse. I just think the water's getting deeper here. And, and full disclosure, if instant coffee were in this race, I'd be saying the same thing. Because I don't I don't know that I look at instant coffee and and believe he is of Brad Cox's runners. I don't know that I look at instant coffee and think he is among the, the elite. I think he's probably a notch or two below. That's just my opinion. Silver Heist, 12 to 1. He is the third coming out of that allowance race with determinedly and Tappet's Conquest. Uh, he had a beautiful trip. He just didn't have the finish. Keep in mind, though, he went from six furlongs to eight and a half, taking on winners for the first time. I thought it was a fine effort. I can see him moving forward here. Question is, is it enough? And again, there are a number of quality runners in this race, uh, including Krupe. Now, Krupe does not have a win yet. He's 5 for 5 in the money. He's got two runner-up finishes from those five starts. But he's good. And his last run was kind of an impossible trip. He, he showed no speed early. I don't know what the hell happened, but he was like sleeping early. He started really ramping it up down the backside, Loaded in behind runners, rounding the far turn. Tipped out, finished really well. Couldn't quite get past Slip Mahoney, who's a good horse. It was a very bizarre run, but I think it's noteworthy that Todd and company come right here with this horse to a mile and an eighth, two turns, as if this is, they know this is what he needs. Forget about, forget about getting a win. Let's take a shot, let's try to get some points, and let's go on with it. Made Krupe 9 to 1. Victory formation. This may be an unpopular opinion. I made him 6 to 1. <clears throat> excuse me, from a 3 to 1 morning line. 
He continues to improve, 81 to 85 to 90. I like the incremental improvements on the speed figures. The concern, if you like this horse, is he's had pretty comfy trips in a few of these runs. <coughs> Excuse me. And the last start, he got a little bit green at the end. I don't, I'm not going to hold that against him. The tougher thing is going to be how do you play the break here? Because if you're going to the front, you're going to have company to your from your inside. And how fast are you going to go early? Or are we going to try to teach him something here? And given your outside draw, you let the speed break and go, and you sit just off their flank, and you take up that kind of stalking position. And maybe this race serves two purposes. You find out, A, if he can sit, and B, if he can, you teach him a little something. And if he does all that and still wins, all right, you've got a you got a monster on your hands. But at three to one, doesn't do it for me. I, I could see him going up, and I can see Tappet's Conquest going down in terms of pricing. And Private Creed, I, I have no doubt that the horse is talented, but against a field like this, breaking from fourteen, trying dirt for the first time. I, I mean, I can't make him any less than 20 to 1. If he wins, I'll tip my cap and say good on you. But he's not for me in here. I think he's good. I just don't know that this is the the spot that I'm, you know, champing at the bit to go and get. So for me, in the Risen Star, it is all about Tappet's Conquest. And not just in this race, but for the first Saturday in May. And if that doesn't work, I tweeted it earlier on Thursday night when I just got back to the hotel that, you know what? I've, I've said things before. I've been right sometimes, and I've been wrong sometimes. But it's what I believe. I think Tabbitt's Conquest is a triple crown kind of horse. And if it doesn't work for the Derby, maybe it's the Preakness. And if it's not the Preakness, maybe it's the Belmont. We know that Tabbitt's love mile and a half at Belmont Park. But I think this horse has the ability. Is the mind there? Not yet. Doesn't seem anyway. We'll find out if Saturday kind of begins that path toward a more complete version of the three-year-old son of Tappet. If you have any thoughts on these two races or the three-year-olds in general, boys or girls, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for watching along. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. You've also got YouTube that you can listen along over um, for the weekend. I will be at Fairgrounds both Friday and Saturday. I'm on the first half of the card on Friday and the last seven, the stakes action and a nice maiden race and a nice allowance race, I believe. Uh, but the last seven, I will be on four at the Fairgrounds on Saturday afternoon. It looks like it's going to be cold both days, 50 and windy. Um, so something to keep in, in the back of your mind. But I'm, I'm really excited. I think this is when things are going to really start ramping up from a prep standpoint. For Are we going to start to separate the contenders from the pretenders because so far I don't know that there are either of those I don't know that anybody is a contender or a pretender I'm hopeful Saturday is the first step toward figuring out who's what going forward that's going to do it for the show until next week when I will be oh next week's gonna be another one of those tough ones probably be a Friday pod record something like that so it won't have long to live uh, because I'll be making my first trip to Oaklawn Park. This will be recorded in Hot Springs, Arkansas, getting ready for The Rebel. 
But first thing first, Rhythm Star on Saturday. Best of luck, however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 149 of the Macaroni Show.